RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill, and we are back from the Thanksgiving holiday. And I hope everyone had a truly blessed and safe Thanksgiving. I hope you got to spend a lot of time with your loved ones, whoever they are, whether they be blood relatives or people you call family and friends. I hope that whatever you did, that it was very fun, very blessed. I hope you didn't eat as much as I did, but I'm sure we all did because, hey, it's Thanksgiving and it only comes once a year, right? And of course, the next day is Black Friday, which I avoid like the Black Plague because A, I don't like crowds and B, I'm not really a big shopper. So, you know, if you went out and you did your your Black Friday shopping, you know, I applaud you for it. I'm so last minute with my Christmas gifts anyway that I will probably buy them on like the 21st of December. Um, you know, and being that my daughter is 22, she's going going to get money. My son's going to be with his mother, so we'll either do it just before Christmas or after Christmas uh, that he and I will celebrate, or should I say, I will give him a few gifts and I will get nothing, as I always do. Uh, But, you know, that's the price to pay when you have kids, you know, make sure you get them something. But, you know, they they typically don't uh, return the, the favor. But, you know, that's not what the season is about anyway, right? It's about the birth of Christ. And as long as I'm blessed enough to be able to do something for my kids, uh, you know, I'm just thankful for that. So can you believe it, though, that the year is just about up? We're already almost in December. Uh, Christmas music is playing. You know, people are doing the Cyber Monday and all of this other stuff, trying to get ready for Christmas. Christmas trees are up. Uh, you know, in the next week, I will probably be tired of Christmas music, as many of us will be. But man, I can't believe that this year is almost up. And I want to send a, a special thanks to everyone uh, that has been listening to me since this show came on the air here on RadioInfluence.com. A special thanks to those who have listened for the last almost year every Tuesday night, with the exception of when I was on a different night because of other obligations. Uh, a very heartfelt thank you to all of you you uh, listeners. I love you. I appreciate you. And I don't know where I'd be without you. Definitely wouldn't have a Beyond the Badge. We definitely wouldn't have as many listeners as we have every week and every month. So I thank you. Now, we're just off the heels of Thanksgiving. And if you listened last week, I told you that my mother had the brilliant idea to drive out to Colleen, Texas for Thanksgiving. In translation, that means I drove from Atlanta, Georgia, after my parents got here from Carolina, all the way to Colleen, Texas, 14 hours, and then 14 hours back. Now, going out wasn't so bad, I'll admit. But coming back, oh my gosh, I was ready to eat a bullet between my dad's horrible 
singing and humming and singing the wrong words to a song and then clearing his throat <clears throat> as if he was going to get on tune after he cleared his throat and his sinuses and the noises he would make that I totally forgot about because I don't, of course, live in the house anymore. Uh, but just the noises he would make clearing his throat. My nephew was passing so much gas, I thought I'd have to pull over and just put him out on the side of the road. And it's not like, you know, when you're driving and it's 45, 50 degrees that you want to drive with the window down uh, for a long period of time on the interstate because you kind of get cold. And man, when I say we left at 1 a.m. on Saturday morning and we did not get back into Atlanta until about 4.30 Saturday afternoon, and then we hit traffic from the Georgia Tech game as we got into downtown. And by the time I got home, after I went and picked up some hibachi food, because I knew once I was inside my apartment, that was a wrap. I wasn't leaving again. By the time I got home, uh, shortly after 5.30, uh, I was in the bed, and I was out until the next morning. Now, I had called myself uh, setting an alarm to get up at about 10 p.m. Saturday because I wanted to watch some UFC fights. But if my alarm went off, I don't remember it. I didn't hear it because I woke up Sunday morning at 7.30 uh, just to try to recoup from that very long drive. And one of the things I told my mother is I don't care what you guys plan next year for Thanksgiving because, again, we went out uh, to to hang with my brother for Thanksgiving. If they plan on going to Clean, Texas, or anywhere outside of a two-hour drive, I'm not doing it. And I made that perfectly clear. If it doesn't involve an airplane, you can forget about it. So, uh, and of course, we took the traditional now Hill family photo. We had one edition. My son was in this photo because last year. He wasn't with us for Thanksgiving, and the color of the day was purple. And my nephew had on this dark purple jacket, and my brother had on this dark purple jacket, and I had on a, you know a polo shirt. It was purple, you know, and some black jeans. But when I saw these dark jackets last year, I said we looked like the Bloods. This year, the only thing I could think about was that freaking purple dinosaur barney in that stupid song i love you you love me we're a big fat family or however it goes that was the only thing i could think about in these photos was barney because of all the purple but i assume the photos came out well i haven't seen them most of my family has seen them. They probably didn't show them to me because they know how much I really don't want to take part in those anyway. But, uh, you know, they said they turned out pretty good. I don't know. I will have to find out at a later date. Now, down the business. This is beyond the badge. Enough about my personal uh, ordeal over the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and speaking of Thanksgiving and speaking of Texas... I don't know if you heard this story, probably not, because it wasn't a major story on the mainstream media. Actually, on Thanksgiving night, uh, a Texas state trooper was shot and killed uh, after a traffic stop. He was shot in the back by an individual 
uh, by the name of Debrit Black. Um, during a traffic stop, the officer was walking back to his car. This Mr. Black decided to get out, shoot this trooper in the back with a rifle. Uh, he was captured. The shooter was captured. And I won't mention his name again. The shooter was captured about 100 miles away after five hours. After he tried to flee from police, uh, there was a canine uh, police dog named Odin uh, who actually caught the guy that was hiding in the woods, which my hat's off to Odin, the police dog. He's the hero in this case. He captured this guy. Uh, but this isn't the only time that this individual, the shooter, has been in trouble with the law. Back in July, July of this year, not July a few years ago, July of this year, he was actually arrested for aggravated assault of a police officer evading arrest uh, with the vehicle uh, and a bunch of other charges. So, you know, I was on uh, One American News talking about this, this story on yesterday, and, you know, the host asked me, hey, would gun control uh, have prevented this? The shooting, and I simply said no, because obviously, you know, when you talk gun control and you talk background checks, this guy's background sucked. There's no way he would have passed a background check. And one of the things I always say is when you look at cities like Chicago and Baltimore and where all of these shootings are happening in the black community, they're not going to the store to buy their guns. So I really don't believe, based on this shooter's record that he went to a local gun store and was able to purchase a firearm legally. But that's really not the issue here. The bigger issue is, and people don't realize this, and it's really touchy for me, is why is this not a bigger story? There is currently a war going on against police. If you don't believe me, look at Baltimore, where they're still looking for the shooter of Detective Souter. You look at Pennsylvania, where that officer, that rookie officer, was shot and killed during a traffic stop. Now you look at Texas, where this officer was shot and killed during a routine traffic stop. Why is this not a bigger issue? There's an all-out war against police. Actually, I would change that and say it's an all-out assault on police, because in war... If you've been in the military, if you follow military structure and war, there's these things called rules of engagement. There's certain things that you can and can't do while you're in, you are in war. But when you're just a guy or a group going out and assaulting people, there are no rules of engagement. So if this was a war... The rule would say you can't shoot a police officer in the back with the rifle while he's walking back to your police car. Because at the time of the traffic stop, there was nothing that says you were going to go to jail or this officer was going to try to do you bodily harm because he's walking away. He shot in the back. So where's the rules of engagement? So, no, we don't have a war against police. We have an all-out assault against police officers in this country, and it's not a major story. Now, here's how that Texas shooting would have turned into a major story, and we would still be hearing about it on all of the mainstream media. Now, the shooter, 
32-year-old. His last name is Black, but he's also a black male. Now, picture this. And I want to use a line from one of the greatest movies I've ever seen, A Time to Kill, with Samuel L. Jackson and Matthew McConaughey, where he's talking about the little girl who had been raped uh, by the the guys there in the town, and they drug her uh, with the truck and all of this. And he tells the jury, close your eyes, and he starts telling this story about the little girl. And then he says, now imagine, because the girl in the movie, if you've seen it, was black. And this was a, a very small town in the South where there was a bunch of racism going on. So he's trying to win this jury over. And he says, now imagine if she was white and everyone's eyes opened up. So let me ask you this. Close your eyes and imagine this. This deputy pulls his car over. And for whatever reason, the stuff hits the fan. Shots are fired. And the driver, the suspect, is shot and killed. Now imagine he's black. Now imagine what we'd be hearing right now. Don't worry that he was stopped legally for a traffic violation. Don't worry that just less than six months ago, he fought with police. He led them on a chase uh, and a bunch of other charges. Don't worry about that. Don't worry that he did it in 2015. Don't worry that in 2015 he tried to take an officer's gun. Don't worry about any of that. Just focus on the fact that he's black. And he was shot by a white police officer. Now, imagine what we would be hearing right now. What we would be seeing right now. Now, there would be a hashtag right now for this individual. Benjamin Crump and the Al Sharptons and the Jesse Jacksons. Well, maybe not Jesse Jackson because, you know, he's got his own scandal about sexual harassment going on and he's getting older. So maybe not Jesse Jackson. He was smart. He would just shut his mouth. But all of these people and all of these groups, especially the Black Lives Matter, would be in an uproar right now if Trooper Donald Damon Allen, 41 years old, on the department since 2002, if he was forced to use deadly force, and yes, I said forced to use deadly force because no officer just walks up to the car, starts shooting. It doesn't happen, contrary to popular belief. But had this 41-year-old deputy who had been on the department for 15 years and was forced to use deadly force. Oh my God. Oh my God. There would be some filmmaker right now getting ready to make another documentary like they made in Ferguson. There would be some attorney, some civil rights attorney saying that the head of the public safety of Texas needs to resign because he hired white racist officers, they would be calling for this officer's resignation right now. But since the roles are actually reversed and the bad guy is the one who killed the police officer, it doesn't matter. It's no more than front page news 
on the local paper. Does anybody see a problem with that other than me? Does anybody see a problem with that other than me? Because the last I checked, police, who have the most, in my opinion, and anybody who's done the job and anybody who actually has a brain, police not only have the most dangerous job in the world, obviously, because Trooper Damon, 41 years old, who had been on the department for 15 years, was shot and killed on Thanksgiving. Imagine how his family feels. Not only do they have the most dangerous job, they have the most respected job. So where's the respect from the mainstream media? Where's the respect from all of these civil rights groups? Because last I checked, civil rights, they're for everybody, right? So why wouldn't there be a civil rights group protesting on behalf of this officer? Or if Black Lives Matter, why wouldn't they be protesting on behalf of Detective Soder in Baltimore, Maryland, who was shot and killed by what witnesses say was a black man? If Black Lives Matter and if civil rights mattered, why is this not a major story? So basically what this society has said, what the narrative that we've heard for the last eight plus years has said, what the hypocrisy from certain groups has said, that it's perfectly fine that we kill police officers. It is perfectly fine because, oh, that's just the cost of doing business, right? No, it is not perfectly fine to commit murder. Now, what some people will say, some groups will say, well, they murder black boys all the time. They murdered Freddie Gray, which they didn't. They murdered Michael Brown, which they didn't. They murdered Alton Sterling, which they didn't. Go look up the legal definition of murder and then get back to me. Then go look up the definition of use of force and when an officer can use force. There's no murders going on in the black community by racist thug police officers. It is a theory correction. It is a myth and it is a narrative that we've been fed based on a political agenda. That's all this has ever been, a political agenda. Because if you notice, as it got closer and closer and closer to this last election, what did the left, the liberals, the Democrats start preaching over and over and over again? Police are racist. They don't like the black community. They target the black community. They target the black community. And it backfired. But if you notice, it hasn't gone away. They've added some things in that, you know, if you're white and you don't agree with someone, you're racist. Or if you're white and you didn't vote for Obama, you're racist. Or if you voted for Trump, you're racist. They added that part in. But again, it's all politics. Just simply so a certain party, the Democratic Party, in 2018 and in 2020 can take control and get back in the White House. That's all this is. Because at the end of the day, black-on-black crime is not going to stop because of this. Police are still going to police. If you do a crime 
I assure you the police will show up. If someone calls the police, I assure you the police will show up. And I assure you when the dispatcher dispatches that call, they're not going to say, would you like a white officer or would you like a black officer? Oh, are you Hispanic? Would you like a Hispanic speaking officer? No. What they're going to do is dispatch the closest car, the closest officers to that scene. And guess what? In 95% of that time, those instances, the officers happen to be white. Think about this. When those officers showed up in Baton Rouge based on a 911 call and they were met with a guy that was six foot three or six foot four and 320 pounds who happened to be black by the name of Alton Sterling, do you think those officers keyed up to the dispatch and said, hey, is his name Alton Sterling? And hey, is he a black male? Oh, well, shoot. I want that call because I want to go kill a black male. No, the dispatcher dispatched the call and said, we have reports of a male black with a gun refusing to leave the property. And that's how it went. And guess what? Those two white officers didn't key up and say, ooh, 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 please, please don't give that to a black officer. Please give that to me. No, they were assigned in that district and they were the closest officers to the scene. So this whole cockamamie theory about white officers just having it out for the black man is nothing more than a narrative, nothing more than a political agenda. But all the while, while there's officers dying in the street, dying in the street, and some officers looking just like the people who are protesting police, and then other officers killed by the people who look just like the people protesting police, i.e. they were killed by a black man, and they were white officers, yet that's okay. That's the real narrative we need to talk about, because that is real. It's real that people are ambushing police. It's real that people are taking out guns and shooting police. It's real that people are walking up to police in an alley and shooting them in the head. That stuff is real. All of that other stuff is fake. Fake as can be. I'm telling you, this this assault, this all-out assault on police is very real. And if it doesn't start getting the coverage it deserves, it's going to continue. If we don't start making these killings on police officers a hate crime, it's going to continue. As long as people think it's okay, it's going to continue. And until this story gets really huge, it's going to continue. So what I urge mainstream media to do is stop making the suspect to be this great victim when police are forced to do their job. Stop showing the Easter Sunday suit picture of someone who fought police, who was armed with a gun with police, and degrading the police officer's death to front page news in the local newspaper and nothing more. That is a disgrace to any person who wears or has worn, including me, 
who has worn that uniform and who has done that job. So I want to switch it out to Baltimore and, and I want to talk about this this uh, racist officer who was just cleared of some charges. Whoa, whoa. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, wrong narrative. So I want to talk about the last uh, police officer involved in the Freddie Gray incident that happened back in 2015. You may remember he was running from police, arrested, put in a van at some point. Somehow he sustained a a spinal cord injury, uh, even though medical records said he probably had a pre-existing uh, spinal cord injury. Six officers were charged. They made it this whole race thing. So the last officer, Sergeant Alyssa White, and although her last name is White, she's actually African-American, which is another reason why I couldn't understand why they made the Freddie Gray thing about race. Uh, when most of the officers involved were African-American or Hispanic. But anyway, uh, she was scheduled to face a trial board and possible termination on December 5th related to Freddie Gray's arrest. But Wednesday night, Commissioner Kevin Davis dismissed the scheduled administrative hearing. White will face no further administrative actions, police spokesman T.J. Smith said in an email. White's attorney told Baltimore Sun that White was grateful for the decision. She has always maintained her innocence from the very beginning. Davis's decision came less than a week after a police disciplinary board cleared Lieutenant Brian Rice, the highest-ranking officer involved in the Freddie Gray arrest. The same three-member panel recently found the police van's driver not guilty. The evidence and allegations against White are the same as the previous two hearings, and Davis did not feel another hearing would be in good faith. We look forward to continuing the many reform efforts underway that will ensure that BPD is serving our community in a manner consistent with the expectations of our residents. And as you know, the Department of Justice went into the city of Baltimore after Freddie Gray and said, hey, you guys suck. You guys are uh, treating black people bad. Um, so you, you need reform. And that was one of the initiatives after Freddie Gray. And I've always said that sometimes, 99% of the time, it's not police reform that we need. It's crime reform. Because even after Freddie Gray, that city has 300 homicides this year. Freddie Gray happened two years ago. One of those homicides is to a Baltimore police officer. So would police reform have prevented that? Would police reform have prevented those 300 plus murders of black men by black men in the city of Baltimore? No crime reform would have prevented that. So anytime I hear police reform, it just makes my skin boil because that is not the issue. Police reform didn't stop this deputy in Texas, this trooper in Texas from getting killed on Thanksgiving. It didn't stop the officer in Detroit from getting killed on Thanksgiving who was hit by a car doing about 60 miles an hour when the officer was deploying stop sticks. Police reform does not stop the criminal. Crime reform stops the criminal. That's the real issue. Those are the real stories. And this is why I love this format to be able to tell you guys 
the truth, the unfiltered truth of what we really need. And if you remember when Freddie Gray first happened, if you remember, I I told you that there would be no charges or, or correction, no convictions in in these these cases once they charge these officers. There was never any any minute evidence of racial disparity in that case, violation of civil rights, uh, abusive power, excessive force, any of those things that you needed to get those convictions, they didn't exist. But what happened, just like in Trayvon Martin, just like in Michael Brown, the family listened to these race-baiting, yes, I called them that, race-baiting attorneys who trumped up these charges that didn't even fit the definition of the crime because they just thought, oh yeah, we'll get these convictions. And they pumped these families' heads up just to let them down because they didn't have the elements of the crimes they were trying to charge the officers with. But we are just about out of time. I know you're tired of listening to me. Um, it's time for my 10-7 segment. And I've mentioned this trooper throughout the show. And it's only fitting uh, that he is honored in my 10-7 segment tonight. Trooper Damon Allen, Texas Department of Public Safety, Texas Highway Patrol, end of watch Thursday, November 23rd, 2017, when most of us were stuffing our faces with pies and turkeys and hams, this deputy was shot in the back on a holiday that is used to give thanks. So what do you think his family is really thankful for right now? Trooper Damon Allen was shot and killed while making a traffic stop on I-45 in Freestone County, just south of Fairfield, at approximately 4 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. He, con- he had contacted the driver and was returning to his patrol car when the man exited and opened fire with the rifle. rifle. Excuse me. Trooper Allen was killed at the scene. The man was located in Waller County several hours later and taken into custody after exchanging shots with officers. Trooper Allen had served with the Texas Highway Patrol for 15 years. He is survived by his wife and three children who will never see Thanksgiving the same. Uh, To this trooper, I thank you for 15 years of service to the state of Texas. Uh, Godspeed to you, my prayers to your family, your wife, and your three children. I want to thank you, my loyal listeners, for listening tonight, and I will see you right here next week, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. Radio Influence brings you the absolute best in digital audio broadcasting. We've got something for everyone. Sports personalities like the fabulous sports babe, Rich Herrera, and former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy as they take you inside the dugout. We'll take you inside the world of MMA with the MMA Report with Jason Floyd, the MMA Insiders, and the Valor Hour with Tim Loy and Casey Oxidine. Or you could find yourself sitting ringside with wrestling ring announcer David Penzer. 
TV law enforcement analyst and former police officer Vincent Hill breaks down this week's biggest crime stories and takes you beyond the badge. Chef Brian Duffy from TV's Bar Rescue shares his crazy life on the road with Duffified Live. And Scott Ledger will always make you think with some dangerous conversation. All of Radio Influence's shows can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. 